0: Lomish, emergency. Uh, someone on, line
1: my son. on September 12, 1995, McKay Everett disappeared from his home in Conroe, Texas. There was no sign of forced entry. It was just as if McKay had walked
0: out of his own free will.
1: And to this day, McKay's mother, Paulette, feels that justice was never truly served. Ransom is available now. Listen at RansomPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I'm walking downstairs to see Christian's room. I'm in his parents' house, where he grew up.
3: He would come down here and hit on the punching bag. He's real big into working out and being fit. This was um, his pride and joy dirt bike that I got him when he was 16. Said he wanted that instead of a car.
2: When I stepped inside his room, I immediately noticed the bright orange bike, raised on a stand. It was impossible to miss. Years ago, the bike got a lot of use. Christian even raced it. Now, it's been cleaned up and placed on display. His helmet rests on the seat. Did he spend a lot of time down here?
3: Mm Mm-hmm. You know, he loved his room, and that's why I was so surprised when he moved out. He
2: had a good setup, a whole basement to himself, and a door leading out to the lake the place he spent most
3: of his time. He just liked it here. You know, he could go right out the door and be on the lake. He kind of had his own little area down here.
2: A sign on the wall catches my attention, a street sign. It's dirty and weathered, but the words on it are clear. Bridge out miles ahead, local traffic only and there's handwriting strewn across it.
3: This was a sign that they took. He had it in his closet, and so I took it to the funeral home, and his friend signed it. it. A
2: lot of friends had signed it, 66 to be exact, making a collage of multicolored messages, commemorating Christian. I stared at it for a long time. I became fixated on it.
1: Love you, brother. You truly will be missed. I'm so lucky to have met someone like you. You made a lot of people
2: laugh, man. That was your thing. I'm so you lucky true. to have met someone like
4: you. Thank you. you. I'll, I'll
1: never
2: continue. forget you. We'll I'll
1: never Just thinking about the You will be Thank missed. Thank you for the memories. I'll never forget you. You truly will. be You will missed. never be forgotten, Christian. We love you and we will miss you, buddy. We, we love you.
2: People just don't make these kinds of statements in these kinds of numbers unless there's some validity to them. And while it's fair to point to someone's character and disbelief that they commit suicide, it happens. So I tried to maintain an open mind as I stared at the sign and considered the possibility of suicide. But I didn't know then what I know now. Over the course of the next year, as I learned more and more about this case and wrestled with the question, why would Christian kill himself? I can now say, I'm not convinced that he did. From Resonate Recordings and Tenderfoot TV, I'm your host, Dennis Cooper. And this is Culpable. I travel with two of our producers, Mark and Jacob, to Mississippi to meet with the Andriacchios, Christian's family, his mother, Ray, his father, Todd, his older brother, Josh, and his younger sister, Alexa, whose name you'll just hear mentioned. Here's Ray. Well,
3: this is the wonderful neighborhood of Dalewood.
2: Dalewood is in Lauderdale, Mississippi. It's a gated community that surrounds Dalewood Shore Lake. The Andriacchios' home is right on the lake, on top of a hill, overlooking it. It's peaceful there.
3: Um, he, I'd actually had him do these pictures. I don't know, maybe four months before anything happened. Five months. I told him, I said, you know, it's a long time since we had any pictures made. Yeah. I'm so yeah. glad I did that. And he fussed about it and said, "Oh, are you gonna make me wear makeup?" And I was like, "Why would I make you wear makeup?"
2: So, yeah. It's a spacious house with an open floor plan, but maintains a quaint and cozy feeling. Seemingly every inch of the place is made of wood, various types of it. As I enter the kitchen, I caught the scent of baked pie that Ray had prepared. Their home feels like just that, home, and they have the hospitality to go along with it. I hear Paul scratching the floor and see a snaggletooth bulldog emerge from the other room. Even he knows the drill, and scuffles over to greet me.
3: What's his name? Tank. Tank. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. Walls are filled with mementos, two separate hallways, floor to ceiling, with pictures, many of Christian. And there's artwork scattered amongst the pictures, each piece having meaning, like a wood slat with the lyrics, you make me happy when skies are gray.
3: Because I used to sing that song to the boys mm. when they were little.
2: And some of Christian's belongings are preserved, like an American flag that flew on its tugboat. It's framed and hung high in the living room, yes. as well as a dollar bill that he held onto for a long time.
3: This was, he had this in his um, Jeep. That was his dollar bill, but he had written down all of the dates of when he got promoted at work. He kept writing the dates of when he made, you know, like from went from deckhand to uh, from Tankerman, Tankerman to first mate, so, we, I had
2: it, um, After a walk around the house, we make our way to the living room, where there rests an elegant coffee table cut from walnut. The shape of it resembles a flower, and it's circled by leather chairs and couches, making it quite the centerpiece. I decide it's a good place to set up, and I sit down with Ray and Todd to talk.
3: I've lived in Meridian my whole life, have three siblings, and they all live here in Meridian up very involved in school. Education's always been very important to me. I attended the junior college here in Meridian for two years and started working at 18 at Meridian Aviation, which is how Todd and I met. He was a line guy there, and I was the receptionist.
0: Yeah, I grew up probably 100, 200 yards from right here. My dad and mom got divorced when I was five, and I went with him, and my upbringing is way different than Ray's. I was raised in bars and <laughs> hanging out with my dad and his buddies drinking and stuff. So I joined the Air Guard and went off to basic training and came back and that's when Ray and I started dating. I used to fuel airplanes out at Meridian Aviation and fell in love with her out there.
3: <laughs> I really think if Todd and I had not worked together, we would have never crossed paths. Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably a lot of people. But we stuck in there over the years. It'll be what? 29? We've been there 29 years, I guess. 29 or 30. We don't really keep up with it. We're really um, (laughs) your typical story of making ends meet and everybody working one and two jobs and trying to do better for your children, as far as uh, let them have the things that, not that, I mean, I had a good childhood and was did, did not do without, but you know, you want to be able to give your children more. You know, I think they had a good childhood, a happy childhood. They stayed outside and played a lot. They rigged up a swing and had a harness that they put Alexa in. And would swing her across the creek because they were swinging on a rope and she wanted to swing. And so she was too little to hold herself up. So they made her a backpack harness and would swing her across the creek. Um, Just good old country stuff. (laughs) You know, boys with nothing to do but time on their hand and coming up with a way to have fun. And Christian was really, you know, I I say he was almost a second father to Alexa. He really kind of, co-parented her, and that's who she always called if she needed something, if she needed advice, if she needed help with something, if, you know. So he was very protective in that way. Josh and Christian were very close, I'll have to say. Really didn't realize how close they were. You don't really stop and think about that until, you know, Christian died, and then you go back and look at pictures, and you see that in every picture. You know, they've got their arm around each other, or they're always together, and they're always, you know, and they were they were happy. I mean, they were always smiling and laughing and seemed so happy. And they were very close to my... They were very close to my family did a lot for my grandmother, who was their great-grandmother. And she lived to be 103. And, um, you know, Christian always said he would never leave Meridian, as long as my was alive. You know, as long as my was kicking, I'm gonna be here. But when I went and told her about Christian, her first words were, um, I mean, just very calmly, she said, well, at least he thought us have him for 21 years. He loved it up here. You know, he loved the water. He loved, loved the boats, you know, going out on the pontoon boat, the jet ski.
0: Used to see him in the mornings on the jet ski at like 6 o'clock out there, just floating around, jet ski floating around with him.
3: Because he got such a habit of getting up early on the boat, getting up at 5 and then be ready to work at 5.30, when he came home for his 15 days, he was used to getting up early.
2: What Ray is mentioning is Christian's job, working on a tugboat at Magnolia Marine. Christian was only 18 years old when he started working there, but he was passionate about his work and good at it. Really good. On track to becoming the youngest captain they've ever had good.
0: A couple of times a week, in the back of my mind, I think, where the heck is Christian when I'm doing something? You know, because he's always been there with me. we work together, and I guess he was 9 years old when he first started coming to work with me, and... Think we'd work about five hours a day, and then we'd screw around <laughs> a few.
3: <laughs> they had a very laid-back work environment, let's say.
2: After getting an idea of their past, I asked Ray how she feels now, looking back on everything.
3: Well, we tried, you know. Looking back was now, trying to
2: get by. Then, yeah, you know, I, and
3: I mean, I think that you look back and you see all the mistakes, you know. Times when you should have been at home and you were working. You know, because I worked a lot, I did not have the memories that I feel like I should have had. Um, And, of course, you you don't think that um, time is limited. You think you have plenty of time to make those memories and everything. Told Todd, what about a month ago, two months ago? I uh, had a had a dream about Christian. He comes <laughs> bouncing through the door like he'd do, and he said, "Oh, it's it's good to see you." And he said, "I got to go do some stuff." And I said, "But wait just a minute!" I said, "Just let me hug you one time," and I hugged him and. He said, I've missed you so much, Mom, got to go and let off. Mine always goes back to, I wish I would have done things different. I just wish that we would have been in a better place, he and I, when he passed. I was just glad. That I had talked to him that morning, and I had not texted. I'd actually called him, and we had had a conversation. So that's, you know, kind of the thing that um, I guess keeps me sane.
1: Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
4: Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival,
3: I've gone back and forth about this. I mean, I've never watched it, and I don't really want to watch it, but, I mean, we have the, the DVD of Christian's Funeral.
2: The service lasted roughly 40 minutes. It opened with a cover of the song Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. A few of Christian's friends shared eulogies. They'd start lighthearted, with funny stories and fond memories of Christian. But they all ended with an overwhelming expression of tremendous loss. You could tell Christian really made an impact in these people's lives. And then, there was the conclusion. This is from the pastor.
5: My guess is that there are a lot of people who look, At Christian Andreacchio and thought, I wish I could live life that fully. I wish I could get that much joy out of it. I wish I could have that much accomplishment. I wish I could stand by my friends that well. I I wish I could be like that. My guess is that there are a lot of people who really envied the way he lived his life. He was not the kind of guy who would uh, stand aside and watch other people live. He was the kind of guy who was living it. When he went offshore, went down to to run the tugboats, wasn't long before his brother was with him, his cousin was with him. It was, that's just the way he was. He was charismatic and called other people to kind of follow after him. Good life. And then this. I told Ray yesterday, um, I said, I don't think he gets any tougher than this. I think this is the hardest thing any parent can ever live through. I believe that. We don't get ourselves prepared for this. Because the way life is supposed to work is that your parents die and then you die. And then your children die. That way you never have to face your children's death. You never have to deal with anything like this. If it just happens like it's supposed to and then the upper generation dies and then you die and then they die, it works out okay, but it's not supposed to happen like this. And so when you're putting together the jigsaw puzzle of your life and you're trying to put everything in its proper place, and it doesn't all come at once, and you kind of have to think about things and put things in their proper place, and you're putting together this jigsaw puzzle of your life, and you have this piece. It doesn't fit. There's no place that piece of the puzzle fits. It just won't go. It's not supposed to be a part of your life.
2: I decide to give Ray a break. She tells me Josh is outside and asks if I'd like to talk with him. Josh was Christian's older brother, and according to Ray, the two of them were close. They grew up together, they worked together at Magnolia Marine, and they lived together. But at the time of Christian's death, they weren't living at the Andriacchio's home in Lauderdale. Three months prior to Christian's death, Christian and Josh rented an apartment together in Meridian, Mississippi, which is where most of this story will take place. It was in this Meridian apartment on February 26, 2014, that Christian was found dead in the bathroom from a single gunshot wound to the head. I see Josh seated underneath the deck on a large concrete patio near the shore. He's staring out at the lake, watching a storm move in. His hands are folded together in front of his chest. He's quiet and seems deep in thought.
4: Josh recounts what unfolded on February 26th. We were in somewhere below New Orleans and I was building tow, or I might've been breaking it down. I can't remember and I, my captain called me up there to the wheelhouse and I went up there and talked on the phone to the guy and they were asking me if you know, I'd heard from Christian and stuff like that. I was like, no, and they told me uh, he committed suicide. Like no he didn't and I just hung up the phone and went back out there and started working and I had to finish because nobody else was there so I know I got off the boat uh, woke up the guy that usually relieves me and I think a captain from another boat or might have been a pilot from another boat got me and took me up to New Orleans and I met my uncle and he came and picked me up and brought me here I knew something was off but I mean, I didn't think it was this bad. I mean, I had just talked to Christian the day before. I mean, I, I helped him get off the boat. Something was off, I just knew it was.
2: Christian never struggled with like depression or anything?
4: I didn't really, he never seemed depressed to me. So he was kind of always happy-go-lucky. I mean, he'd get pissed off sometimes or agitated, but never like, he was not somebody to just be sad and sit around and, you know, be depressed. He would, you know, go out and party, go, you know, ride a boat around the lake or something like that, go to the beach, constantly had things to do. Which, I mean, I guess that doesn't have any bearing on if you're depressed because you can still be depressed and do things, but he never seemed depressed. I mean, he seemed pretty, pretty happy with where he was at. the apartment when I was able actually able to go into my apartment I mean it was torn up there's cigarette butts put out on the floor and I mean empty beer cans everywhere holes in the wall I mean it was i had been gone for you know three or right at four weeks and left the apartment like spotless then come back and it's just thrashed like completely destroyed like even Christian's bed just had like this huge, like where it looked like somebody took a knife and was cutting into it. I don't know if they thought something was in it or what, but there was just, in the middle of the bed, there was just this huge gash marks where someone had ripped out the cushioning of the bed. And it looked like somebody was looking for something. Everything that I had heard and been told by the police and stuff like that just doesn't line up. I mean, just looking at it from a common sense standpoint, I mean, I don't need to see crime scene photos. I mean, if I just see the blood, and I use common sense, like this is way too much blood over here, then it should be, there's no way. I mean, it's just impossible. It's physics. I mean, it doesn't work like that. You know, blood can't leave a room with a shut door. It can't go around and get inside of a, I mean, it just can't happen, it doesn't. And if this happened here, it'd be impossible. And I mean, just also, If you shoot a bathtub with a 45, it's not going to ricochet off of a fiberglass bathtub, it's just going to go through it. So, I mean, I guess it's kind of, it's kind of like an inner conflict for me of trying to believe it because the police are telling you this is what happened and also not believing it because, I mean, why would he? I would much rather believe that they're just crooked. Then believe that they're completely incompetent. Everything's kind of over the past four years just focusing on this one thing. It's kind of just whitewashed everything else and you just forget it. So now all I remember is like that day and now.
2: As my conversation with Josh reaches an end, I decide to follow up with Ray and Todd to ask them about the moment they heard the news.
3: Todd and I were out to eat. I'd gotten off work and we were eating and um, his dad called him a couple of times and told him that he needed to come home, but didn't really say why. He just said, you need to come home. And we, quite frankly, just kind of ignored it and kept eating and then he finally called and said um, something has happened to one of the kids you need to come home so we of course got up and jumped in the car and we kind of went back and forth about well i mean it can't be alexa she's at church and it can't be christian because he's on the boat and we just i just talked to him this morning and you know he was really worried it was josh because josh was newly on the boat inexperienced as far as the boat he was afraid he might have been hurt got to his dad's house and his dad, and I really don't know why they called his dad. I mean, I guess they had his number for some reason. And his dad told us that um, Christian was dead. And I told him, no, that that wasn't true, that Christian was on the boat. And he said, well, he's been, you know, he's committed suicide at the apartment. And I said, well, that's not true. I talked to him this morning. He's on the boat. And like I said, kept calling him and calling Josh, trying to get Josh on the phone. Nobody was answering. And they showed up and I told him, I said, it's not Christian. And they gave me his driver's license. Josh and I actually were talking about this earlier today. You know, he was saying, well, when did you start questioning that it wasn't suicide? And I said, well, I don't think I ever thought it was suicide. I mean, I think immediately we thought something wasn't right, but like I said, you didn't really act on it as far as ask too many questions. or Well, quite frankly, at first we thought that, you know, you have your trouble. I mean, we'd never had any dealings with the police. I just assumed they'd do what they were supposed to do. We called Wilburn repeatedly, who was the detective that was assigned. He would never return our phone calls. To this day, we have never spoken to Wilburn. Um, He never returned a phone call the entire time. He never anything. And we would call and we would call wanting to know, you know, because we were wanting to tell him, you know, we don't think, I mean, we want to know, like, what, what went on, what, you know. He would never return our phone call. So then I scheduled a meeting with the chief at that time, who was Chief Lee. I would say that that was probably, if I had to guess, maybe three weeks after everything. We went and met with him, and he was very arrogant. And very condescending, um, he had Sharp, Lieutenant Sharp uh, was in there with us. And he said that he wanted him there because he was over the investigators. And basically, you know, I, my, my purpose of going there was to say, I want the case, because, I mean, they had closed it. I mean, it was done. And I said, I want it opened, and I want you to let MBI come in. Well, he just flat out refused and said, I mean, he wouldn't even consider it. He said, nope, it was a suicide. We're not doing anything. And I, you know, told him, asked him why. And he said, "It was just because there's, you know, we're not. And he told me I needed to go home and just accept it. And I said, so you're telling me if your daughter, he had a picture of his daughter on his desk. I said, so if you're telling me if your daughter, um, they told you today that your daughter committed suicide, that you'd go home and accept it. And he said, I sure would. I said, okay. So I said, there's no reason for us to meet, there's nothing else to be said. So we got up and left.
2: Sadly, this is a case that never received the attention it deserved. And that extends beyond law enforcement. The Andriagios contacted local newspapers requesting they do a story. They even offered to buy ad space, but were denied. They were also turned down by billboard marketing companies. At one point, they actually recorded a news segment, but it was pulled without reason and never released. And as for law enforcement, a mere 45-minute investigation by the Meridian Police Department was all the time spent before ruling Christian's death a suicide. MPD has remained closed-minded since and have stuck with their ruling. As it stands today, the case is closed. But it was never really closed for the Andriachios, who have continued investigating over the years, amassing a wealth of information. Interviews, police reports, pictures from the crime scene, the list goes on. I can't stress enough the importance of the work they've done and the records they've kept. It's amazing. And I know I'd be lost without it and without them. There's a lot to unpack here and still a lot of work to be done. It's gonna be a process. But at the end of the day, not only are the Andriachios confident that Christian's death was a homicide, they are confident his case can be solved.
4: No, no possible way he could have committed suicide. I mean, that's to me, it's zero percent.
3: Oh, this is definitely a homicide. We're not gonna stop until we get something done, some resolution to this.
5: So I wanna pass along to you something somebody told me a long, long time ago. What he said to me was, trust the process. You never know exactly what it is that's gonna help something to click for you. You don't know what circumstance you'll find yourself in when you finally get to put this a little more in its place. Trust the process. Allow God to do what he does step by step, person by person, catalyst by catalyst that helps to get that piece of the puzzle that won't fit. Trust the
1: process.
2: Culpable is a production of Resonate Recordings and Tenderfoot TV in conjunction with Cadence 13, written and hosted by me, Dennis Cooper. Executive producers are Jacob Bozarth, Mark Menery, Dennis Cooper, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsey. Additional production by Whitney Bozarth, Courtney Cooper, Meredith Stedman, and Mason Lindsey. Audio editing and sound design by Resonate Recordings. If you have a podcast or are looking to start one, check us out at resonaterecordings.com. Our theme music and score is by Dirt Poor Robbins, cover art by Drew Bardana. Additional music for this episode by Lovers and Madmen. You can follow us on social media at Culpable Podcast. Show notes as well as bonus content can be found on our website, culpablepodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to subscribe, rate, and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. Thank you for listening.